As we are continuing, and now this, this Sunday, concluding this sort of a mini-series, focused on the principle or the concept of the seed in Scripture, um, I'm going to be sharing with you from three different passages uh, in the book of Acts. So if you have your copy of God's Word with you, you don't want to thumb it open or you can have a paper Bible, I strongly encourage you to bring your physical Bible uh, with you to church, if that's something that you're willing to do. Uh, just having it and then knowing where it is and knowing where you saw it. Some people write in their Bible, some people underline. I want to encourage you to make use of your physical Bible. And if you have an electronic Bible, certainly do that. We will have the words up on the screen, but you never know about my thumbs. I might put an extra consonant or something like that in there, and I wouldn't want you to be deceived. So make sure you have the, the true and right thing in your lap with you as we're studying it. I think that's a great way to make sure I don't mess up. Um, as we started this this series, we, we talked a little bit of a recap here. We, talk, we started talking in Mark chapter 4, and the title was The Seed Falls. And we talked about the parable of the sower, or the parable of the, the seed scattering, or even of the soils, that the word is, the seed is the word, and it falls on the ground, and, and it either takes or it doesn't take. And sometimes when it takes in good soil, it produces an amazing crop, a multiplication of, of vast quantities, much more than an agricultural yield. And that word that is being spread or sown uh, leads to effectiveness of the word. Uh, you and I, who sow the word, are not directly personally responsible for the, for the soil out there, but we are accountable for the soil that's in here, right? And that's why we said, sow anyway, right? Wherever you, wherever you go, just be sowing. That's, that's the principle of the parable is that it just falls. It falls somewhere. And then last Sunday, we looked at the seed in the parable that Jesus told in John chapter 12, where he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so we said the seed not only falls two weeks ago, we said last week the seed dies to live. Death is not the end of the life of the seed, it's the beginning of its fruitfulness, okay? So the seed parable that Jesus told there is about dying for sin for himself, which he does once and for all. It was finished upon the cross. Amen. No one has to die for sin if you put your faith in Jesus. All right? But then it calls for those of us who follow him not to die for sin, but to die to sin and to die to self. So when that seed of us dying to self, when we die to ourselves, when we die to sin, we too bear much fruit. We bring glory to God. Good things that God designs come as a result of our dying to self and dying to sin. We want to be bearers of good fruit. Amen? Okay. So those passages that we looked at are God's word given in two different parables where he uses the seed in, in kind of two similar but different ways. And I want you to remember, this is a, something we'll probably have to say again, and I, I, not a problem, but remember that parables are not just friendly illustrations to kind of take the pressure off. They're actually sometimes designed to head right for you and pass right by you, okay? Uh, that they may hear and not hear, that they may see and not see. And that's troubling in some ways. We, we recognize God's telling us something, and some of us are going to get it, and some of us are not going to get it when he gives us a parable, okay? That's what the parables are kind of for. And that's what I want you to do is to remember, I need to get this. I want my soil to be good so that when the word comes, it lands, and it does what it's supposed to do in me. So today, as we're looking at not another parable, but a reference to the seed, we're looking at another kind of agricultural expression. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, 
uses a particular word in three different places throughout the gospel, throughout his account of what happened for the church as it grew. And he uses an agricultural word. He talks about it like a plant, like a living thing. So we're going to look at that. And it helps us see that, that seed idea, and I think what could be a very practical way for us here at Grace Church. Because what it's going to do is it's going to show us passages of Scripture in the context. And I don't want to just pull these verses out of context. I want to give you some context for why they're there. But I want to see. I want you to see how they are like place markers. They're like yard lines. You can tell the progress of what God has said is going to happen by these markers. Okay? They serve like, a, like, like chapter headings in the whole story of the book of Acts. Kind of like summary statements to show how the word has grown. So... We're talking today about how the seed not only falls, the seed not only dies to live, but now the seed lives to multiply. That's where we're going today. The seed lives to multiply. So the first point I want to bring out to you and show you in these passages is that the seed of the gospel presumes growth. Just like if you went to the store and you bought a package of seeds, you're not going to take them home and eat them. I mean, maybe sunflower seeds. Okay, I get it. But in general, you buy a package of flower seeds or zucchini seeds or rhododendron seeds, if that's even a thing, you would take them home and expect that they would grow. All right? That's the presumption. So the seed of the gospel presumes growth. If we can see these three verses, and I'm going to show them to you in a second on the screen, um, if you can see them all together, we can start to see the same idea repeated as the word grows and bears fruit throughout the advance of the gospel in the book of Acts. So we're going to see how this book tells of what happened after Jesus was crucified and buried and rose and ascended, and how the seed of God's word grows and bears fruit, just like a plant, and how it multiplies, just like good, healthy seeds are supposed to. So here are the three verses all together, and I want you to see the similarity, but also they're in three different places in the account that Luke gives us of Acts. So Acts 6, 7, I'll read it for you, it's there on the screen, and the word of God continue to increase that were increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Put a little footnote there in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Then Acts 12, six chapters later, he says almost the same thing. He says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And again, that word increased is a word you use for growing living things. It's, it has a particular agricultural meaning to it. And he's talking about something that's alive. Okay? Not just more of something. But it grew, okay? It increased. And then in Acts chapter 19, verse 20, uh, so the word of the Lord continued to increase. And now it's not just increasing, it's prevailing mightily, all right? So here's what I want us to see today. We're talking about the seed as it falls, as it dies, as it lives, as it grows, as it multiplies. I want, to see, I want us to see that God's word grows where it is sown, where it is cast, okay? It multiplies like seeds bearing fruit with more seed in it, right? Good fruit, seed in it, okay? It spreads, it grows, it advances the kingdom, it yields its increase. You've heard that word before in, chapter, in uh, the first part of Genesis, right? Where, where, where God says, let there be plants bearing fruit with seed in it, and trees with fruit with seed in it, that they would increase, okay? That they'd multiply, that they would fill the earth, all right? Um, so to put this a little bit more in context before I show you each of these verses and where they fit in God's narrative, I want you to, I want to, we talk about this a lot, but I want you to remember 
God has given us a commission, right? And in Matthew 28, he says to his people, go and make disciples. You see it up there on the screen, right? Uh, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then that same principle is repeated in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's repeated again in the beginning of the book of Acts. Like, I, I meant what I said, and just in case you forgot, it still applies, and here's what I want you to do. He says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember, that's going to be in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Remember the bookmark, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay, now, now there, are, there are three markers in those three verses I gave you. I have the word of the Lord in Guru, and I want you to hold on to three other markers. This is not hard. You can do there are three different stages that Jesus is talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Okay, three different stages of the growth of the gospel. Okay? Uh, and those are markers of where the gospel is going to go and how it's going to go. And he's saying it's going, to, it's going to happen. He's saying you will be my witnesses in these regions, and then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Right? So in Acts 6 and 7, you're going to see what happened in Jerusalem. In the second marker, Acts 12, 24, it's already spread through Judea and Samaria, and now it's reaching beyond Judea and Samaria to places like Antioch, Tyre, and Sidon. The gospel is advancing. And then in Acts 19:20, it's out in Ephesus. It's to the ends of the earth. It's, it's accomplishing what God has said was going to happen. You will be my witnesses. So the three markers that we have in Acts 6, Acts 12, Acts 19 are a fulfillment of what Jesus promised and commissioned in Acts chapter 1. Three markers, three regions. He's giving that to us. And I want you to see as well in Acts 1, 8 and Matthew 28 that these commissions are to the end of the earth and they extend to the end of the age. End of the earth, everywhere, end of the age, until Jesus comes back, which hasn't happened yet. So we could essentially say everywhere, all, of, all the time, and not all at once. Everywhere, end of, the, end of the earth, end of the age, all the time. Guess what? We're here because that's true. We're farther than Ephesus from Jerusalem. We're farther than Spain, right? We're on the other side of a, of a globe that they weren't even sure was around, okay? We're here because that's true. But since the end of the age has not come, it's still effective for us. It still applies to us. We're not the terminal location of the gospel. We're just one more expression of fruitful soil receiving productive, fruitful, energy-packed seed that's going to continue to multiply wherever the good soil is, okay? So let's look at a little bit about how the seed lives to multiply. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the next slide there, it says, and the word of God continued to increase, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. See the word increase and the word multiply. Let's look a little bit more about what's happening in Acts chapter 6. 
Um, Acts chapter 6, as you may remember, because we just preached on it not too long ago, we talked about deacons, right? In the beginning of Acts chapter 6, there was a problem. The church is growing. They were kind of saying, what's going on? This is kind of wild. This is crazy stuff happening. Miracles and Pentecost and popularity and persecution. and It's kind of turmoil. And now, a number of widows who were Greek-speaking widows were kind of being neglected in the distribution of the benevolence, okay? Good reminder that benevolence is still ongoing. There's still always going to be a need for people to be cared for. The poor we will always have with us. And these, these Greek-speaking widows were missing out on the daily food distribution. And they said, this is not cool. This is not right. This is not the plan. This is not how we want it. This, this is not in the church vision statement, right? They neglect the widows? No. We, we, we need the food. We need, we need care. We need provision. We need benevolence. And the apostle said, well, I see that. That's legit. Except we have prayer in the preaching of the word to do. So how are we going to, we can't do both. We can't neglect this and do that. This is valid. But this is our job. This is our calling. This is what we've been asked to do. I know. Let's call some godly people together, some godly men, send them out as deacons. So in Acts chapter 6, the church had a big problem. The church had a lot of complaining. The church prayed about it, gathered the leaders, prayed about it, solved the problem. And the word of God increased. Church problems are no different than math problems. If you're going to learn math, you need to have problems. Right? You don't walk into a math class, look at the way and go, oh no, problems. I, don't, I can't handle problems. No, math problems are there to teach you math. And church problems are there to apply the word of God such that it will increase and grow. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 6. I'm not saying please create problems. Don't hear me saying that. But I am saying we should not be afraid of handling tackling problems with the Word of God. Because when you apply the Word of God to the problems God lets you have, the Word of God is going to increase. God's Word will advance. It's like miracle grow. Boom. Put it on there. Next day, growth. So that's one marker. Let's look at the next one. In Acts chapter 12, verse 24, it says that the word of God increased and multiplied. And again, this is organic growth terms. These are like, you go to the garden store and hear these words, okay? So what's happening here? James has just been killed. Peter has been in prison for the intent of killing him. Herod wanted him dead as well, but he put him in prison first, and Peter got out. And then, then Herod left town. He was kind of ticked, so he had the people who let him go killed. And then he left town and go, to go do a speaking tour up in Tyre. And he did that sort of shiny suit speech, right? Where they said, oh, this is the voice of God and not of a man. And he took it. He, he, he received that compliment as in like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me, right? Pour it on. And then what happened? He got eaten by worms and died. And so he died, eaten by worms, another kind of agricultural terminology. In the very next place, it says that the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod died, but the word of God grew like organic growth. So, so that, that's another indication of God's demonstration of the word is growing. Okay? Let's look at Acts 19. It says, so the word of the Lord continues to increase and prevail widely. And now this word increase, this, this growing word, is also enhanced by the effect of prevailing. So the, the living word is fighting back, it's fighting uh, here, in, in Acts 19, uh, there was a really clear victory over occult 
practitioners, okay? They were kind of magicians, and they saw these sons of Sceva who were trying to cast out a demon, and they invoked the name of Jesus and Paul, but the demon beat them up, right? And all the, the sorcerers were like, whoa, something's about Jesus. We really need to pay attention to this. So they assembled all of their magic books, and they took them together, and they burned them, and they were worth a lot of money, millions of dollars equivalents, okay? So, and when that word, the false word of the magicians and the occult practicers was burned up, here it says, the word of the Lord increased and continued to prevail mightily. Nothing's going to stop the advance of God's word. The word grows, it increases, it increases mightily, it prevails. All of these things like a really, really, really healthy crop. So the seed of God, seed of the gospel, presumes growth, and here we see it in the, in the book of Acts. It lives to multiply. It doesn't just stay a safe, strong seed on the shelf. So let's pause and ask for a second. How does the word actually grow? Like, why, why, why is Luke using that terminology? What do these verses actually tell us? Like, like when the word grows, what's happening? Are we getting more books to the Bible? Is that what it is? Like now all of a sudden my Bible is thicker? Are the words becoming longer? Are there more copies being printed? Are there more seminaries cranking out preachers? What's happening that they're saying the word of God increased? What does that actually say? What does it mean? Well, this is the second thing I want to show you. What's happening is the word of God is like a seed, and it grows as it is shared. Kind of like, kind of like love. You don't run out of love as you share love. Right? You don't have a limited amount of love, and then when you pour out the love, you're, now you're empty. It's more like when you love someone, there's more to go around. Kind of like gospel truth. When you share it, it's not like, oh, now I don't have my faith anymore. I don't have salvation because I shared it. I gave it away. No, it's not like a wrench or a cup of sugar. You're not impoverished by your sharing. You're enriched by it. You grow as the word grows in the lives of those you share it with. All right? So the seed of the word grows as it is shared. Let's look at that. That next slide up there. Thank you. Um, one theologian says that these place markers that I'm identifying to you is like treating the Word of God as a living thing, a living being. And, and Jesus said, you know, He's the Word, right? So He's alive, so that makes sense. And, and Hebrews 4 says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So there's, there's precedent for calling the Word a living thing. But Luke could very easily have said, and more churches were being planted, and he did say that. He could have said, more people became obedient to the faith. And he did say that. But in these three markers, he's talking about something organic that's actually growing, right? And in Indiana, in the late summer, you get growing, right? There's places you can't see anymore because there's corn blocking your view, right? It, there's growth going on all around us. We get that. So here's what he said. He didn't say more churches. He didn't say more believers. He said... The word of God, or the word of the Lord, grew, increased or grew, and multiplied. The word is alive, and things that are alive expand. They grow. They bear fruit. And all through the story of the book of Acts, there are sermons, okay? Acts is noted for these are some sermons, and we ought to pay attention to the content of those sermons and take them apart and figure out what's being said and how it's working and how it applies to us. So don't ignore the sermons in the book of Acts. But 
the growth of the church is not just through trained preachers. It's through motivated servants who are believers. Okay? I want you to be able to see that. Because indeed, Peter preaches. Indeed, Stephen preaches. Indeed, Paul preaches. And the word does grow. Okay? And we're doing that right now. Right now in this room, we're doing that. And we're going to keep on doing that. We're not going to stop doing that. Preaching is part of how the word of the seed grows. Okay? But this is what I hope to sow in the seed of your good soil, Grace Church. The word being sown to grow and multiply like a living thing is also the act of sharing the truth of Christianity among people. From believer to believer, to build up one another, okay? Encourage one another in their faith, like you did singing, how it encourages my faith. That counts. But it's also from believers to those who don't yet believe that they could hear and come to faith. It's evangelism. Where do we see that? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a worship service. He, told, he just explained Isaiah to him in a way that he had not understood before. Peter and John are going up to the gate of the temple. They're just walking. And there is a lame man. And they spoke to him. They said, we don't have silver. We don't have gold. But what we have in the name of Jesus, just get up and walk. And he, and he rose. And it was, it was a powerful encounter. And it wasn't a sermon. It was just an encounter between two people not in the worship service. Ananias met with Paul after Paul had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And Cornelius and Peter, they just had a conversation. They just got together and talked about Jesus. And the word of God grows. So when people hear the gospel, it has a saving effect on some, and they too become messengers of the word, and they bear more fruit. So the seed of the word grows as it is shared. So how does the word grow here at Grace Church? What are we going to do? So, like, I can yeah, that Pastor Brad, the word of the Lord grew, and Book of Acts is all sealed up, chapter 28, that's the end of that, right? Yeah, for the Book of Acts it is, but, but for us, what does it mean for us? How, how should we grow as we receive the word in good soil? So I think, I think life and I think health imply growth. And if the seed lives to multiply, what does that look like for us? Well, the third point I want you to see is healthy seed multiplies. Healthy seed multiplies. Do you, uh, maybe you're like me, uh, if you have those little growth charts at home, like maybe you just make marks on the, on the door frame or whatever, pencil marks, and it's like never paint that door frame because that shows us how, I used to like that at my house because I became taller than my older brother. And when I was taller than my dad, I still wanted to have that mark. I was probably 20 years old when I became yeah, but I wanted that mark on the door frame that I could show it. I was taller than my six foot four inch dad. I like those markers. I think that indicates I'm eating right, I'm getting enough sleep, I'm not sick. It's like growth is health. Growth implies getting bigger, doesn't it? Right? As you as you age, you should you should get taller, right? That's legit, right? And when people grow in the word, your age and the length of time that you've been a Christian, those those matter. But they're not the only measures of health or growth. And the same is true for a church. How big the church is, that's not irrelevant. How old the church is, that's not irrelevant. But that's not the only measure of growth and health for a church. So if it isn't age, and it isn't size, what does it mean to grow? Well, here's how we are going to grow as a church, Grace. Three ways we grow. Three M's, all right? Maturity, membership, and multiplication. All right, let's talk about it. Maturity is one kind of growth. To grow in maturity as a Christian, 
Here's some things you can do. And, and as I say these things, it's not a list. It's not you taking this home and checking it off. It's just think about if there's things that you're already doing, great. If there's things that you maybe have languished in, you can put that back in the schedule. Maybe you can restart. If it's something you've never tried, but you're doing some of the other things, this is something that you can, you can put in your pocket and take with you, okay? So the first thing I would want to encourage you to do as you grow in maturity is to hear the word. Be present in worship. Come, let the word of God penetrate. Touch you, be like a sword. Penetrate your heart, all right? Just, you're doing it now, so well, well done. Check that one. You can, don't check it. Don't have a, don't have a list. But that one's a good, right? You're here listening, all right? On your own or in a small group or both, read your Bible. Read it. Just, just read it. Just, just let it wash over you, okay? Just read your Bible. And if you're already doing those things, I would encourage you to study the Word. Get, get in a group. Get a book. Talk to me. If you're, if you're working for something in life, I can give you some things to study. Not, not a book apart from the Bible, but a way to study a book of the Bible that you can get the Word in you. That's a way to grow in your maturity. Another thing you can do if you're not already doing this, I would exhort you this. This has been a, made a tremendous impact on my life and on my wife's life as well. And that's memorize the word. That's memorize the word. When you're going through a trial or you're meeting with someone or you're talking to someone about a challenge and the Holy Spirit runs to the door of your heart and opens up the cupboard and all he finds is Psalm 23 and the Great Commission. Like, uh, let's get some more stuff in the cupboard, right? So that God can speak to you and that you can use the word to speak to God's people with something that's from His Word, and not just to have to go looking for it, all right? Memorize the Word. Hide His Word in your heart, that you might not sin against Him. And then there's another thing you can do to grow in your maturity, and this is the hard, I think this is probably the hardest one if you're not already doing that, so that's share the Word. Like I said about love, it, it multiplies when you give it away. When you share the Word with someone else, I've had some great conversations in this past week with people about the Word of God, and using Scripture to talk about things, and not have an argument, a fight, but to really grapple, what does this mean, and how does this work, and how do we supply it? What if it says this over here, but it sounds like it might be different. How do we make those things work? You will grow your faith in sharing the word with a believer as well as with an unbeliever. Here's another thing. This, this may go without saying. I hope it doesn't. I hope that you will think that maturity is also part of obeying the word. If there's something in your life where you're standing back to God going, yeah, you're doing that, or I don't, I don't really want to go that way. If God's word commands you to do something, you should do it, and you'll grow. If you submit yourself to the word of God, you become more like Christ. That sounds easy to say, and it is. It's harder to do, but obedience is one more way. You can grow in maturity. And then, we try to do this every week. I want to encourage you to trust the word. If you've heard the word of God, if you've heard the plan of salvation, if you've heard these words of assurance, I want you to believe it. I want you to rest in the word. I want you to hope in the word. Believe what he says. Trust his promises. That's a way to grow in maturity. That's a way to, to, to vanquish anxiety or worry or fear or doubt. Trust in the word. That's the way you can grow in maturity. That's the first M. The second M is membership. And I just had, because I'm a preacher, I have to have it alliterate, so I got an M. I don't, I'm not talking about physical, you must become a sign of the dog line member of the church. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we do count people here because people count with us. And we want to know if you're here. And we want to know if you're here and, and just checking it out. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. And we also want to know if you're here going with us 
and that we need to do something to help you get where God is taking you through Grace Church. So when we talk about growing as membership, I'm not specifically saying you have to attend a membership class, although we would encourage you to do that. We want you to know what you're signing on for, right? Don't just assume that we're going where you think you should. Right? Make sure what we're doing is biblical. But we want you to join. We want you to stay with us. We want you to plug in. We want you to make this your church home and go where we're going. Get a steady diet of good gospel preaching and challenging opportunities to serve him. Another way we can grow in the membership is for you to invite someone to, to join you here at Grace. Invite them to visit. Another way you can do that is you can invite someone to visit your community group. Just have them come and get to know the people in your home or in the home of the leader of the group or the host of the group so that when they set foot into a gymnasium or Christian high school, they know 6, 12, 10 people. That's a great way to help grow the, the numbers of our church. And again, it's not all about the numbers. The numbers don't always indicate health, but I want to encourage you to think about who else needs what we've got here. There's plenty to go around. If I'm going to multiply what God has done for me, that means sharing it with someone else. All right? Or invite someone into your home for a meal. Or go into their home and say, what's in the fridge? No, I, I would encourage you to do that. Maybe you know people that you can do that. If you have fridge privileges, that's awesome. That's, that's a great relationship. Invite someone to serve at a community event with you. Go and do something that you haven't done before and, and, and invite someone who's not part of the church to come do it with you. That's a great way to grow the, the membership here. And some of you, I will just commend you, give two thumbs up. Some of you are growing Grace Church by having babies, and we don't want to thank you for that. It's great. And if they make noise, all the better, right? Feels like family. Feels like home. So some of you are having babies, that's wonderful. Uh, if you can't have babies, my heart goes out to you if you want to have babies. But I'm just saying, it's not wrong to have babies and call that church growth. It's one of the ways that we look at organic growth. A, a healthy, fruitful church should multiply. And this is one more way to do that. And if you don't know how to share the gospel, we want to help you do that. Okay? The third end is multiplication. And this is the kind of growth in the book of Acts that is marked by these little three verses. That's what we're talking about. It's basically new churches are being planted. The word, the word prevailing is that more expressions of Christianity are popping up all over the place, just like Jesus said in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? The PCA, the denomination that we're part of, the Presbyterian Church in America, is committed to, to planting churches. We want to see what we think are healthy expressions of the gathered people of God, teaching the gospel. We want to see more of that spread around. We want, and that's why we're here, right? We're, we were a church plant, and now we are a particular church, which means we are potentially going to be able to plant churches. Someday. I don't know how far that off how far off that is, but I want to encourage you. No, Grace, Grace's vision, the vision of the church, we don't talk about this very much, but our vision is to make disciples and plant churches who grow in worship, gospel, community, and mission. Make disciples, grow our people here, and expand this expression throughout the region as far as we can, maybe throughout the world, right? That's what we want to do. So you can begin by praying. God, what, what should we do? When should we do it? Who should go? Where should we make it? All right? Uh, consider where there might be a need for a church and talk to your elders. Talk to the leadership of the church. And be open to practicing multiplication within your community groups. If your community groups grows to a certain critical mass where there's a lot of people and not everybody needs to share, and you've got some momentum and new people coming in, you can multiply into two groups. That's not splitting. That's birthing. It's a good thing. Okay? We want to grow, we want groups to grow, we want leaders to grow. We want to grow. 
Now one little word, brief word, on transfer growth. A lot of what Grace has experienced is people coming to Grace as a church plant from other churches. And I see that happening. And that's not sin, and that's not to be forbidden, and it's not to be restricted. But it's also not the primary way that we see the church growing in the book We see people leaving a false faith coming to the gospel. All right? Now, leaving a church is hard. Looking for a church is hard. When you leave a church, there should be a kind of almost a sense of heartbreak. I was part of that family, and I'm ripping it apart. It hurts, right? But if they're not preaching the gospel, you need to find another place where you can worship. That's, this is not a sermon about how to leave the church, but it is a sermon that says, we want to grow not just by having other people come and deplete other church ministries so that we could be large. That's not what this is about. Can I get somebody to say amen there? Okay. We want to grow. We want believers in Jesus Christ to be a part of this. And we want unbelievers to come and see what it's all about. But we don't want people depleting other churches just so we can have more numbers. Okay? That's, that's there. Alright? Alright, so let me wrap up here. When the word grows, it grows more believers, it grows deeper believers, and it grows more gatherings of growing believers. The word of God grows, and the seed lives to multiply. Now, Folks, I did not plan this. I think I know who did. But Dwayne Hamster called me yesterday. And he said, and he's, he's the guy that works here in the facilities and he works at Ileana. He's great. He's got such a huge help to us. He said, he said Pastor Brown, I just want to let you know, um, I went out and harvested about 2,000 2, years of corn and I brought them over to Grace so you can take them home. There's some bags out there and you want some fresh corn. I just harvested I thought I'd bring it over to the church so you guys can have a bunch of corn. And I didn't say, well, Dwayne just so happens I'm preaching on crops and multiplication and seed. I, I just said, thank you, Dwayne. That's all I said. But folks, don't, don't let this go by without observing the fact that there's a bunch of fruit out there because somebody planted seeds. And you can take it home and put it on your shelf, or you can take it home and eat it, or you can take it home and save it until it gets turns to seed corn. I don't even know how that works. Do you plant it here in corn? No. Do you plant a little... I don't know how it works. Somebody who plants corn can tell me. But the point is, there's a bunch of fruit here from a plant that grew because somebody planted a bunch of seeds, and that's what seeds do. That's what seeds do in good soil. So when you take the corn home, don't just think that was a corny joke Pastor Brad told. Think, this is fruit, and I can bear fruit too. And this is sweet. And when I bear fruit, it's sweet. And it's nourishing to me. And when I bear fruit for God, it will nourish someone else's soul. All right, how's that for a pre-made sermon illustration? I did not plan it. But God brought it. He brought the corn up from the ground and he brought it through Duane to us. And I'm bringing it to you verbally so that you can see God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Amen? All right. Now, last observation. When it comes to sharing your faith, I think that's kind of a hard thing to do. I've tried to do it. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes people don't say, hey, that was great. They sometimes say, well, yeah, uh, here's a question we can't answer. And they, ah, it doesn't feel good, right? Anybody experience that? It's hard to share your faith. I will just admit that. For some people, it's, it's almost death-defying. Okay? Here's what God says. He says, if you have God's word, you have what it takes. You have the seed. You're not responsible for their soil. You have the seed. You're not responsible for how they receive it. You are responsible for how you deliver it. Okay? You're the sower. I'm a sower. We have the word. Let's sow the word. 
and let's enjoy watching the Word of God grow. Because in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, it's not on your slide. When it comes to having what it takes, here's what Moses said to the people of Israel. He said, But the Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. That's what Moses says. Who am I to contradict Moses? You can do this. You can do this. If you want to learn how, we want to help you. Why? For the glory of God. That His ways would be known. That His saving power would be known. That all of His people, all the elect would praise Him. All His people, from every tribe and nation and tongue. That we all would be blessed. And that all the ends of the earth would worship Him. Amen and amen. Let's pray. What a glorious God you are. Thank you for your precious and perfect, eternal, life-giving word that grows. Thank you for allowing us to feast on it and to be strengthened by it so that we too can grow. And Lord, as we take this word, as we've heard about the seed, as we're contemplating what does this mean for me, I would ask you, Father, to, to inspire each one here to take what is appropriate, what is fitting, what is suited to each one that we could bear fruit for you, that we would be like branches in the vine, that we would bear much fruit, and in so doing, that you would be glorified. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we come to our time at the table, which we try to do once a month, it is not lost on me that this bread was formerly a seed which grew to a plant, which produced kernels, which were then harvested and ground up and, and made into something that we can consume. And this cup was formerly some kind of a plant made into a vine that bore fruit that was harvested so that we can consume it. All right? Those analogies are not random accidents. God does this. He even multiplied loaves. Like they say at the wedding in Cana, God is always making wine from water. Sometimes he uses grapes. God's always doing something. He's always producing something. He's always generating life. That's what he does. He's the giver of life. And Jesus, on our behalf, gave away his life that we might have life that cannot be taken from us. As we come to the table today, or as we would more properly say, as the trays come to you, symbolizing you coming to one table. We want you to understand that this is an open table. You do not have to be a member in good standing of this church. Sign on the dotted line. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're not under church discipline at some other church, we would like to invite you to this table. It is about your faith, not about someone else's judgment of your faith. Okay? So if your faith is in Jesus Christ, 
the table is open to you. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and, and a group decides that there's a possibility that someone has not made a confession or profession of faith that does not believe, they're just kind of standing back going, I'm not sure, or I'm definitely out, don't participate when the, when the, when the tray comes by, just let it go. Don't, you know, don't participate at all. Because Scripture warns us that someone who does that without faith, without discerning what this is, the body and blood of Christ, that they even make judgment on themselves. So we don't want you to do that not to restrict you, but to protect you. Okay? Don't take this if you don't believe, if you don't understand what Jesus did in dying for you, breaking his body like the broken bread, shedding his blood like the poured out cup, then don't participate. But if this, if this is an expression of your faith, if you do have trust in Jesus, if you believe that his death pays the penalty for your sin like you confessed earlier, that this table is for you, and we would invite you to take partake of the elements along with us. When we pass out the elements in the trays, there will be a little cup, and we're going to take it all together. So just, I would ask you to just hold it until we all have been served, and then we'll take the bread and the cup together at the same time. And I'll read these words to you from, from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, but the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These words do not indicate that Jesus is physically present in the bread of the We've covered this a number of times, but I just want to reiterate. The bread doesn't change into Jesus' physical body, and the cup doesn't turn into Jesus' physical blood. But it is not nothing. It is not simply a remembrance. It is more. It is spiritual food. And because it is spiritual food, I would invite you to let me pray over these elements that we would set them apart from their ordinary use of just bread and just juice. So this holy use can be anointed by God. We pray for that. Father, please take these elements, this bread and this cup, these uh, little cups with little bits of bread and little bits of juice in them. Please take them and set them apart that they can be spiritually your presence for us. That they can be food that nourishes us beyond the, the molecules and into our hearts. That we can be reminded, yes, of your death and resurrection, but also restored and renewed in the care of your covenant promises. Lord, use these elements to nourish your people, that we could be strengthened, that we could take your word and prevail mightily, that we could be reassured the promises that you have made to us. That your death, Jesus, pays our debt. We pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.